Welcome to episode 50 of The People on Kechung, 1630 AM. I'm Matthew Timmons. And I'm Ben White. This episode, our guests are Pilar Tompkins-Rivas and Shaga Ariania. Pilar Tompkins-Rivas is a curator and a longtime resident of Los Angeles. She's also the director of the Vincent Price Art Museum in East Los Angeles. And she's currently working on two exhibitions, opening at the Los Angeles County Museum of Art for the Pacific Standard Time LA LA series. Those two shows are Home So Different, So Appealing, and A Universal History of Infamy. I'm of the mindset that you should be doing a couple of things curatorially, working both historically to fill in the gaps of what doesn't exist on, let's say, the bookshelf of art history. What isn't there? What hasn't been mined? What are the histories that are you know, still to be written that need to be uncovered and that need to be brought to the forefront. Shaga Aryanya is an artist originally from Iran who now lives and works in Los Angeles. Her show, Who Sings the Nation's State, is currently up at the Vincent Price Art Museum until June 10th, 2017. I think the way my critical consciousness started was through these collective gatherings. To me, that always hit something in you know in my core whenever I see a mass of people doing so I'm really interested in that not only representation and the look of it but the ideologies of being part of a collective and revolution and protest and all those things that come with it. Later in the show we'll hear a reading from New York poet Karina Kopp and at the end of the show we're going to go out with music from LA band Very Be Careful. The People features the voices and ideas that make up the cultural landscape of Los Angeles, the West Coast, and beyond. It's like a broken record, magically repaired. You can listen to The People on K-Chung, 1630 AM, every third Sunday at 3 PM. Or you can find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio. Or you can go to insertblancpress.net and click on The People at the top of the page. Pilar Tompkins-Rivas and Shaka Aryanya, welcome to The People. Yeah, welcome. Yeah. Hi, thanks for having us. Absolutely. So, Pilar, you, as the, being in charge of the Vincent Price Museum, uh, you recently curated a show, a solo show of Chagas, right? That's correct. You want to tell us about that? Um, Yes, I'm happy to start, and I'll let Chaga really fill in the details, but um, uh, the exhibition is called Who Sings the Nation State, and Chaga recently completed a new video that we're featuring in the exhibition as well as a number of new paintings. So very excited to work with Shaga again, someone whom I've known for a number of years and uh, and very honored to have the opportunity to showcase her work in the museum. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so this isn't the first time you guys have worked together, right? No. Um, we worked not as, um, not as in relationship of curator artists, but in the same museum where it was right af- between my degrees of undergrad and grad and um, I moved back with my parents and I got a job at Claremont Museum it was more like a guard <laughs> than, <laughs> but um, and I think it was Pilar's first museum it, it was yeah I was uh, um, at first kind of like a, an adjunct curator and then later on curating most of the exhibitions there at the Claremont Museum of Art um, and then you know knowing Shaga and, and being a friend and a supporter Actually, of each other, you know, both of it's mutual, (laughs) mutual supporters. We've seen each other really kind of grow up in in many ways, um, knowing each other for almost 10 years. So uh, it's been, uh, it's it's this, now that I'm in this position, I thought of Shaga's work um, 
early on, you know, coming into the museum about 11 months ago as someone that I really was interested in working with again. And so we, you know, connected, did another visit and, um, and went from there. But I, you know, I think, I think, you know, for me having relationships with artists that are, that are these long-term, you know, conversations is so important. And it's something that happens, you know, those conversations happen inside and outside of the studio and uh, and through working together and, you know, through, you know, supporting each other, really. So yeah, I feel true. like this is, you know, doing the exhibition, which we have you know, on view at the museum and runs through the end of July, um, is, uh, you know, it's part of an, a continued dialogue. And um, exactly, yeah. maybe we could talk a little bit about the works in the, in the yeah, show. Yeah, definitely. So I was intrigued when we connected again because you said you started painting, and I knew yeah. you as an artist who was doing video and sound works. Mm-hmm. Um, so the paintings really struck me, and then you know, but knowing that you're a very strong video artist, uh, we kind of went on faith that you were going to do a video as the main piece for the exhibition, even though I had seen some of the paintings and was very intrigued based on what you what you told me that your concept was for the video. And I know you'd been thinking about the video for a really long time. Yeah. Um, do you want to, can you walk us through the video? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, when we had the studio, visit, I was actually nervous to show paintings for the first time because um, I guess the last time I painted was an undergrad in a way that anyone saw. And this was kind of exciting but nervous to be like how, you know, I'm, formalizing this but um, I also had this idea for the video for the long time which wasn't the idea necessarily wasn't the one that you see now in the museum but um, I had this story about growing up in school in Iran that um, I wanted to make into a short film maybe one day will but that conversation in the past three years with people around me that are in film industry, um, let like the research kind of led to this film by Jean Vigo, um, who was a French director in the 30s, and he made about five films maybe, most of them short, and um, he passed away really young at age of 30, right after he made this film that was called uh, in English translation, it's called Zero for Conduct. And um, the film was shown once and then was banned for thir- uh, 13 years. And he was passed away by then. And when it was shown again, it got a lot of acclaimed, critical acclaim. And um, and he's considered one of the first people like that are the father of French New Wave cinema in a way. Um, I watched this movie as a research for the story that I wanted to tell, and I've I probably watched it for a million times over the past three years, and um, I didn't necessarily think I was going to remake a scene by that, but it happened when um, the show came up after our conversation. I had two ideas, and then it made more sense to kind of reimagine that scene that I was so... Um, you know, locked into in and bring it into a contemporary situation and think what would that mean for a film that was banned about uh, a boarding school, um, boys that are like being rebellious against the education system and to the time that we are now and here and my own experience of going to 
um, strict, like, um, schooling in Iran, how, you know, that, that was, like, where I really connected with the film. And then being here and living in L.A. for the past 16 years, post 9-11, um, and I really wanted to, yeah, just reimagine that scene, see how I can make that contemporary and, and relatable to what we're doing, what what is happening now. And what is that specific scene that you're talking about? So um, the whole film is about boarding a school um, boys that, you know, are trying to rise up against authority and the bureaucracy of education system. And it's considered kind of anarchist view of Jean Vigo. And this scene is kind of... Um, the movie is only 45 minutes, and this scene is, um, in a way, the highlight of the movie because um, the kids at um, kind of like a dorm when they're, where they're sleeping at night, they decide to um, have a plan and come up with a revolution for the next day where um, authorities are visiting the school and kind of fight against them and show them that, you know, they're not going to behave the way they're being told and what has been going through the school so far. So at night, they're they're plotting and they have a, this one kid has a speech and um, then they start kind of this chaotic, like they're not going to sleep pillow fight and the master comes in and tries to like shut them down and there's this beautiful pillow fight scene. It's kind of comical because it's also a little bit fast forward with the drum music. And then there's this beautiful slow-mo of um, these boys kind of marching through the camera and the room and and the feathers are falling and it's uh, hyper-romantic in that way. And you recreated that today with young girls exactly. of color. Yeah. Young women, basically the future generation of women of color yes. in the U.S., and they're all immigrants or children of immigrants, Exactly, which yeah. is very uh, poignant. Yeah, all the girls that I was lucky to have in the video were um, either from immigrant families or, you know, immigrants, and, uh, of, you know, just kind of for me that was a really important part to um, highlight the kind of diversity of uh, immigration of first Los Angeles and then larger scale of America. When I saw the first little clip that you showed me, I got chills and I actually got very teary-eyed because I knew where you were going with this piece and it just struck me as being so important and such um such an uh, such a, a vital critical perspective you know to tell I still get emotional thinking about it <laughs> just thinking about how I reacted when I first saw it I get emotional because you have these you know you have young girls I think you cast between the ages of nine and eleven mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken yes. and um, and you see all of their faces and they're you know they are standing up to authority like you say which is the you know the, from the basis of the film they're um, they're countering fearlessly but in this very playful way. Uh, you know these these uh, you know these restrictions and um, and injustices mm-hmm. that they feel are, uh, are 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 overshadowing them and oppressing them, and in in your interpretation, you know they carry a flag that is this kind of colorful you know mylar paper piece that you painted, mm-hmm. and um, and you've used the kind of um, 
the kind of blankets that are given to refugees yes. that are uh, metallic the silver. Emergency the emergency blankets, blankets yeah. uh, throughout um, throughout the space as well. So you have these other elements that are referencing things from our contemporary society. Yeah, and also the um, uh, instead of beds and recreating it into uh, we use air mattresses for again the same reason of refugee camps and thinking about mobility and. Um, yeah, with uh, emergency blankets, and um, and yeah, you cast uh, the daughter of a of an artist, mm-hmm. um, Carolina Caicedo's daughter Una, um, to read the speech, and uh, she's a you know Colombian Puerto Rican immigrant to the United States and has grown up in a lot of different places herself, and she's only I think eleven years old, but yeah. she are, she has this fearlessness to her as do other young girls in the film and when they're marching towards the camera it that's the part that really gets me so deeply because even though we're living in a, a con- contemporary situation you know, in, in terms of where we're at politically uh, that that feels at times very hopeless that yeah. we can't overcome the powers that be we're looking at these young faces, this fearlessness of young women who are the future generation, and it does give a deep sense of hope. And that's one of the things that I think is so moving about the project. Thank you. Yeah, and um, to me, it, it was really the first time I worked with kids, and um, I was obviously very nervous to first of all even find any kids, and then um, if you know we didn't have time or budget to have rehearsal and do it, so we just met the, that day and we went about it. I had a lot of help from all sorts of Callard's friends that it was kind of like being back at school and everyone pitching in, you know, to do something. But what was really interesting in working with them was that. Asking them who wants to read the speech and what does it mean for them to protest or if they have protested before was that they all kind of were part of the women's march that happened and all these reasons. So they had a sense now as 11 years old how what it meant or how it would look like to march mm-hmm. and um, kind of that was that was something that I feel like, and the day that we were shooting, actually, um, immigration march was happening outside of the studio. And um, so I found those lines um, even more important that these, you know, the girls are very aware of, you know, what's going on and understanding the project in a way as much as they can. And Chaga, how old were you when you immigrated to the United States? 17. You were 17. And your brother? He's five, twelve. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting because I think very a lot of your work is also filtered through a perspective of being a young person mm-hmm. moving to the United States one week after 9-11, mm-hmm. coming from Iran into the United States. And there's an entire political context that you may or may not have, you know, been aware of or, you know, was it was um, coincidental that you all were going to arrive a week after that event. Yeah, it was very coincidental, and I'm not. Sh- I mean, I when nine eleven happened, I did have a sense of the tragedy, but I didn't have fear in a way that I would have today. But before that, growing up in Iran, we always had this um, push and pull, re- complicated relationship between Iran and U.S. And U.S. was a fantasy for a lot of, you know, Iranians and. Um, 
But so even as a young kid, you were, I was always aware of like when the relationships are okay and when they're not because you would just hear stories of people trying to get visa and my dad and the way we actually came is because my dad's visa got rejected for for medical reason that he was trying to come and he just being a person he is he said I'm never going to get rejected again so we're going to apply for green card and that process was supposed to take two and a half max three years but so many changes in the policies of foreign policy that happened between those couple of years pushed our case back and put it on hold. And it took about seven years, but it was on hold for unknown amount of time for so long that uh, we were always checking what is going on with the relationship of the two countries to know where our case is going to be. <laughs> so uh, even at like nine, ten, I was, you know, always like, from hearing my parents of the of the political relationship exactly. between the two countries exactly yeah you're listening to the people on k-chunk 1630 a.m we'll return to our conversation with pilar tompkins Rivas and shaga ariania in a few minutes but first let's listen to a new installment of notes from the people and we're dipping back into the machine project archive to hear from new york writer karina Kopp. you should really go pick up her book the green ray from ugly duckling press and this is a recording from the Mystery Theater at Machine Project on April 4th of 2015. And you can find out more about Machine Project at machineproject.com. If the image is responsive to nostalgic imagining but continues its hold on explaining time in, say, bluest lip shades, and nostalgic imagining is what dominates us, we might as well accept the image as slowly terminating rather than extending the present. Still, that terminating holds productive energy. But we've talked for so long about suckage being responsible. Or we've talked for so long about responsibility, one or the other. There's no way to love properly because those aren't the facts. Facts don't preside much less do they operate or know dreadful shades of face or design for us in a moral framework we've explained even in morphinism. It's not cold in my heart even if my heart looks like a stopwatch. I hope. Wagner first read von Eschenbach's poem Parts of All while taking the waters at Marienbad in 1845. Little is known of Wolfram von Eschenbach's life. There are no historical documents which mention him, and his works are the sole source of evidence. What if all the guests entered the room with a knife each? The human actor thinks only of his freedom. If we work in neck theater, we're all set. (laughs) Facts. I went to Portland, I rented a car, I got a hotel room. I took a picture of myself in the mirror. I watched TV. I looked at the weekly. I found some music playing across town. I drove to the show and sat at the bar. I let the guy in the bar stool to my right buy me a soda. My teeth started chattering. I could barely talk. We walked to a restaurant down the street. We ate Mexican food. I met his friends in the strip scene. I followed his red sports car with my rental back to my hotel. I told him to go home. I walked into the lobby. I went back outside. He was getting back into his car. I said, okay, come on. 
We went up to my room. We had sex. We were in wait, our heads resting. He complained that women were always screaming in sex to, to, to fuck them harder, that he felt like, in those moments, not himself, not a person with feelings. How could he do it harder and harder? Why did they always say harder? I said, yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> he snored. <laughs> he snored so loudly all night, I couldn't sleep. The next day, we talked about commonplace books. Flower maidens are hissed at as they exit. I am in love with because he is the only person I'll marry. Obviously, I think sentences are very pow and like tenses. I can barely talk. As I said, my talk got damaged in the fervent years, and now I write like I'm sitting in wicker with a view of the waves, and I have white hair from the slouches, and there's a lady in linen stirrups I'd like to penetrate as far as the conch shell will let me. See, I prefer sleuth over cigarettes or wanted to. When I have sex, I fantasize about having it on stage. I'm just a forum for eloquent contemporary voices. Do you think this is real? He ordered too many of the wrong size frisbee. His telephone receiver has no base. Those are neon orange, and that is Mac red. It's like I'm filling out my Sesame Street workbook. It makes me fully endeared to a person I'll, for he's sound of, I'll never be moisture on a mirror, that imperceptibly tactile, yet I'll never cease to let my life dwindle. I'll now. Katerina's seductive narcissism encourages Joe to play out another myth, which is central to all of Bertolucci's films. As the moon goddess Bertolucci projects her to be, Katerina seduces her endymion to sleep perforce to dream because he's interested in seeing himself. He's pro, he's casting out. I'd play a salty disagreement with real time, a folk death being about sound. Would be sung, too, brazen qualities of what I don't know about myself. Ladies from Shanghai. There is nothing wrong with this kind of marriage, since they're all, are you okay? And if the kids are okay, I am okay. I'm gonna go live in that muffler. Except that he, I am glad. It is not meant to time or to turn anything on its head or a fragrant face. So it is the right move to give yourself a director. What are you reading for? Understanding? A mother's womb is not a one-way street, he wrote. But I tear the photos of the men I saved up for. We don't get to do this anymore. We are immobile in our pictures. I don't want your husband. Flowers die. They're so heliocentric that way. Sound. Tennis court balls thud through head and heart. In the film version of Marguerite Duras' India song, when the Virgin Vice Consul finally dances with Anne-Marie Stretter, he says to her, I want you to stay. Now let's return to our conversation with Pilar Tompkins-Rivas and Shaga Ariana. Well, Shaga, I wanted to talk about the idea of participation in collective identities that I see present in your work. In the video, we've talked a little bit about what you know, the background is, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's 
speaking to that idea of participation in a in a collective consciousness and and throughout the works you have political ideologies participation in 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 Mm -hmm. the nation state really and that goes back to the title of the exhibition who sings the nation state and the paintings kind of pick up on that as well and you have these images of of young women uh in mass um, as well as young boys. Um, but I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that idea of what does it mean to participate in a collective political ideology and some of the imagery that was within those paintings. You have women who are wearing the hijab, wearing headscarves, and yeah. others you know, that, that you can interpret it in different, in different ways. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I think where, I mean, I was always part of, growing up like being in collectives in school in Iran and um, the way we would stay in line you know before classes starts and do this mass kind of rituals every morning and um, part of um, just um, I think the way my critical consciousness started was through these collective um gatherings with other students that we would have and that's um and I think when I started painting again um I've never really done any other work with scarf or hijab I always kind of tried to avoid it that because I know it would take it to a place that become more um um I don't know exotifying or um you know, like place that I didn't want to necessarily box, box the work into that. But I decided to paint these because the more I was thinking about those childhood memories, it was inevitable. Like I was looking up all these images of Iranian or Middle Eastern schoolgirls and the collective collectivity of just their appearance and what they were, um, how they looked like in a collective was full of um, meaning for me as far as my own experience and memory. And, like, you know, we did a little bit of rebellious in any way we could done. And to me, that always hit something in, you know, in my core whenever I see, um, whenever I see, especially kids, but whenever I see a mass of people doing so, I'm really interested in that not only representation and the look of it, but like the um, ideologies of, uh, you know, being part of a collective and um, and revolution and protest and all those things that come with it. And what I think is, if I may jump yeah. in, what I think is really interesting about this body of work that we're presenting in the in the exhibition is that it does two things. Like on the on the one hand, you're you're thinking about you know, who sings the nation state, it makes you think of anthems. Mm-hmm. And it makes you think of people standing out and singing a national anthem, which I know has been an interest within your work in the past. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and, and it's cut like an, it's a level of indoctrination yes. that happens at an early age through the school system, through the political exactly. system, through your participation as a citizen. Mm-hmm. Um, it happens in Iran, it happens in the United States. And we come to try to, I, we come to learn to, how to identify ourselves within the construct of the nation state through participation in these collective ideologies. Exactly, yeah, you put it. 
best way. (laughs) (laughs) And that's, uh, and so on the one end, you've got that happening within the work. But on the other hand, within these paintings, you see, you know, these, um, you, you've painted some of the pieces on uh, a mylar paper. So there's a translucentness to the work. Mm-hmm. And when you see it installed, you're able to actually kind of look through. And there's, and the, and there's one particular painting that includes these, you, you know, the multiple uh, women, young girls, wearing the hijab, and they're a bit faceless. And then you're looking at the video behind with all these young women, these young girls, the future generation, and they've all got these strong characters and they're, um, and they're, they're, um, you know, they're, they're pushing us to, to think about the next generation. Mm-hmm. And all at once, within you're in the context of the show, you can see the images of the, of the women in the hijab on the one hand, you're kind of looking at the images of the young girls and uh, in the video, and their faces are being, in a way, you know, transposed to the faceless images of the women in the hijab. So you're humanizing the, um, the you know, the the Middle Eastern that image, woman, yeah. that image of the Middle Eastern woman, which in the United States we're taught to vilify. We're 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 you know continually you know bombarded through um, the media with um, um, you know, these m- misperceptions that we mm-hmm. should judge or be fearful of people that are different from us, people that are the other. Um, and in a way, in the exhibition, you're bringing these two things together and you're saying, you know, th- these people are one and the same. So it, it is, at this, at the one t- at, um, it's doing two things in this way, in a simultaneous way. You're, you're saying, here's what it means to participate in this, in this indoctrination and, and, and to become a citizen, to become you know, part of a, of a nation, but at the same time, you're challenging that and saying, what does it mean to counter that? And how do we, how do we, um, you know, how do we work against the, um, the inaccuracies that have been taught to us through that process? Yes. And I, and you hit a point that just took me really further deep back into, um, just the dichotomy of, growing up with both of this, even growing up in Iran and going through that doctrination and system, yet still being so, like, the way we lived inside home was so different and more westernized than what the image of us was outside and constantly kind of, like, pretending or, you know, going with the system outside that was so different from the indoors life experience. And then coming here and kind of having that um, kind of juxtaposition again where more than ever now I'm Iranian, more than ever I wanted, you know, like I acknowledged before where I was always, you know, like in a way, a lot of us were like against many things that were taught in school or, you know, pretending to or had to do. And now here there's no, you know, like, that collective is even more, um, as much as we live in America and we dress Western, but we're more Iranian than it ever was. In some writing about, about your work, and maybe from an artist statement, you reference uh, W.E.B. Du Bois and the double consciousness. And I yeah. was thinking about when you're talking about collectivities, usually the double consciousness is a you're talking about an individual, but I'm wondering how that works in like a more collective identity. Mm-hmm. And with this dream, I feel like you're talking about how 
it yeah. can kind of switch, right? Like yeah. be both collective and individualized. Yeah, exactly. I right, think which is what really Pilar is, the, yeah. the way that you're describing the paintings, right? Exactly, the of yeah. The paintings. yeah. Yeah, I think it's really interesting when you're th- talking about topics that are related to immigration, that there is a sense of belonging and not belonging. And mm-hmm. W. Du Bois was, of course, writing about the African-American experience in the exactly. United States, but, you know, almost 100 years ago now. But, uh, but it's so... It's oppression. It's so relative. And I, I do think that it's a concept that can be applied to the experiences that you're talking about. And one of the things that I think is very interesting about showing your work at the Vincent Price Art Museum is that, you know, the the, the campus has something like 1,700 undocumented students. And there is a dream center at um, yeah. at this college. Um, there's almost six, there's a little over 60,000 students that go to school there. The majority of them are... Um, minority students, the majority of those are working class Latinos. And then we have this portion, which is a very high portion, I think, of undocumented um, uh, students hailing from Mexico and Central America. And, um, and, and, and I think your work, you know, can speak to that kind of distance between the dream and the reality of immigration to the United States. So it's rooted, you know, in, in your own context and background, but the, the reach of the topics are very universal and very relevant to experiences of people across the board. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to showcase your work at the institution. That's what I was hoping you would reach out more than beyond my own experiences. And I think that's why it was another reason for me to also look back at a film that was made 30 years, you know, in 1930s and see, you know, kind of reimagining that and bringing it now. It's like, this dialogue that hasn't hasn't left us and this um, doctor nation that wasn't about immigration but you know just bringing I the way I did connect with that film maybe others would connect with this new reimagined version well I think that the the moment you know you're speaking to the moment yeah you're speaking to a moment of of, of resisting. Uh, resistance that's that is necessary and uh, and and I think that the work has you know a lot of legs in that way a lot of a lot of people that I can speak to you actually curated this show into the Vincent Price Art Museum so can you talk about that decision and how it relates to uh, you know what you are hoping to do with your position at the Vincent Price Art Museum in general well, it's very important to me to use the museum as a platform for people that come from diverse backgrounds, artists of color, um, women especially. And I think that, you know, that that Shaga's work can speak to multiple communities. And it's an underrepresented voice within Southern California and in the United States. And I'm very interested in expanding the definition of what American art is. And I think that um, that that we should continue to push at those boundaries. And um, you know, we're located in at the mix of of these the intersection rather of two very distinct and important and vital communities in LA. We're located on the campus of East Los Angeles College. East LA is the majority Latino, and we're we are encompassed within the city of Monterey Park a city that is majority Asian American. And so the work that we do programmatically, new programs, new exhibitions, 
we'll speak to those communities because that's where we're embedded. But I think that we are, those conversations are universal. They're global. And I want to connect outward as well. So Shaga's work is very much within that conversation in that context and that I, I think especially you know again this 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 idea of what is of what it means to be an American what is it what what are all the many nuances and facets of of you know of, of being uh, a citizen uh, and that is those are those are issues that she gets at within her work and I think that those are things that are very relevant to the communities that we directly serve because they're at different stages of participating in in American society. And I think in an interview I read of, with you, you described Los Angeles as a polycentric city, which anyone who lives here knows knows that. Exactly but, what that means. Yeah, um, exactly. But yeah, it seems like you're, you're talking about using the museum as like an extension of that polycentrism. What I meant by that was that East LA College, the Vincent Price Art Museum, where we're located in, Mon- in Monterey Park, is one of those important centers in, in, within the context of this geographical terrain, within this cultural terrain. And it, it, it's a gateway into East Los Angeles, all of our satellite cities that push us into the eastern and southern parts of LA County. Um, but it's also a reflection of the diversity that is is part of uh, of, of a changing national system. Uh, na- this is a kind of a this also reflects where we're where we're headed uh, in in the coming decades. And um, and and so while I've worked in many other institutions in other parts of the city, this is a very unique opportunity to represent you know, the vibrancy of these very diverse communities. And I want to expand that on all fronts. And, um, and you know, working with an artist who hails from Iran, for example, um, it, you know, I think you're, you're, you're weaving this all together to reflect the very rich tapestry that is the world that we live in. You're listening to The People on Kechung, 1630 AM. I'm Matthew Timmons. And I'm Ben White. Remember, you can find The People by going to the iTunes store and searching for The People Radio, or you can go to insertblancpress.net and click on The People at the top of the page. And now back to our conversation with Pilar Tompkins-Rivas and Shaga Ariana. So, Pilar, can you tell us about your approach to curation? Yes, of course. Um, <clears throat> well, I've been curating, uh, I guess it's a little over 10 years, but... Prior to that, I was also organizing exhibitions and had come from a background of working in galleries. So I had to do so many shows that it became really second nature to me. Um, when you're working in that kind of a system, it's one show every six weeks. So you're dealing with you know a different artist, multiple shows at the same time often. And um, it just became something that the, the process of doing a show became a little bit of second nature to me and um, and you know I, I had the good fortune of working in a lot of international contexts before I started really curating my own exhibitions um, through that system of working within galleries. So it gave me a lot of exposure to uh, to different places in the world, artists that are hailing from different parts of, of the globe, and how we can make the conversations um, bridge 
to to be relevant and to be um, contextualized in the specificity of the needs of our community. So that's kind of when I started curating. I was thinking very much about that. Um, I'm Chicana, Mexican-American, um, grew up in Texas and was always very interested in, in questions that related back to my community at large and, and, uh, and the perspective that, um, that Latinos have um, of participating in, uh, in, in, in participating culturally, socially, politically, economically in the United States, the long history and, 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 and where we're going. So a lot of the work that I've done has been related to uh, Latino, or now we call it Latinx, um, uh, scholarship. Um, but I, I am not only interested in that. Um, I, I, I think that what what we what we want to do is to is to have a dialogue and have conversations that um, that open up any any categories around you know U.S. Latino art. Um, or Chicano art. I, I'm, I, I'm of the mindset that you should be doing a couple of things curatorially, working both historically to fill in the gaps of what doesn't exist on, let's say, the bookshelf of art history. Mm-hmm. What isn't there? What hasn't been mined? What are the histories that are, you know, still to be written uh, that that need to be that need to be uncovered and that need to be brought to the forefront. So I, I think that there's a lot of work to be done uh, within that framework of U.S. Latino art and um, and 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 countering the institutionalized racism that is art history, <laughs> to yeah. be honest. Um, and at the same time, not uh, drawing a circle around what that's supposed to mean and confining it to uh, to a limited scope or to a limited understanding. So I think that it really depends on the context uh, of when you're of when when you're charged to do something. If you're talking about an uh, say a project like the one that I worked on for the Getty's first Pacific Standard Time that focused on um, art in Los Angeles from 1945 to 1980 and we did a project through what I was working with UCLA, the Chicano Studies Research Center. We did a, a suite of exhibitions called L.A. Chicano, and the two exhibitions that I primarily focused on were focused on the Chicano art movement of the 1970s. So that's a history to uncover. That's a history to contextualize. You know, you're bringing work, um, you know, to 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 the framework of scholarship that has maybe never been seen, and that's there's there's deep value in that. Um, and, and then when you're working with contemporary artists or artists who are, you know, in their late 20s or early 30s, it's a different kind of conversation, but it builds upon those previous generations. And I, and, and we're constantly changing, we're tra- constantly transforming. So I think that it's, it's always a bit of looking to the past, trying to understand the past, situating that in its place and time, and bringing it forward, bridging it to, uh, to our contemporary moment, to our present, um, and, and thinking about how so many factors affect the way that artists work. Um, you know, when you're looking at younger Latino artists, obviously, you know, globalism has completely influenced them. They've all got MFAs, you know, through, you know, these incredible arts institutions here in Southern California or elsewhere, and their discourse is rooted in conceptualism as much as, as it is Chicano muralism. So I think, you know, one has to just be very mindful 
of, of how to portray that and how to interpret that for our changing notions of what it means to to be artists of color producing in, in, in our society today. And you've worked in a few different contexts, like different, like at LACMA, um, now VPAM and 18th Street Arts Center. Can you tell us a little bit about how those contexts change or maybe don't? Yes. I mean, context for me is, is, is so relevant because I think you have to, I don't think you can come in and just say, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. I think you have to observe. I think you have to look at everything. I think you have to, you know, be open and listen. What is, what's important here? What's important in this situation? What is the way that, that, that this institution is functioning and, and who are we serving and who is our, who are, who are the people walking through the door? Who, what's the constituency and what's the way in which they're going to access the content that we bring forward through these exhibitions. So that is something that changes from job to job, institution to institution. So it very much affects the way that I curate exhibitions. So um, um, at 18th Street Art Center, where I was the director of the residency programs, I had the great opportunity to work with artists in the galleries in such a way that you provide artists the three things that I think they need the most, which is time, space, and money. And I never worked with happier artists, I have to say, (laughs) than when you just give people the space and here's your stipend and I'm here for you. You tell me whatever you need, but you don't strong arm anybody. You don't try to push your agenda. You just say, um, here's your platform. What can I do to help you? And that was the that was the idea behind curating for me in that in that sense of working in that space is, you know I think if you if you bring in artists that you trust and people that you really believe in, uh, or rather that you're building trust with really, um, you're 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 there to just be a vehicle, which can support them. And so I think that for me that's a very rewarding way to work with artists is to just basically you know get out of the way and and let them do their thing and um, and and that's that's one kind of curating and say what do you what do you need and here's what we're gonna here's how I can support you um, you know at, if, sorry so go ahead if I can jump in here <laughs> yeah. this is something I was thinking about driving here that. Um, Working with you has been so easy in so many ways, the way that you trust, you know, me or any artist that I've known you worked with to let them flourish their idea. But you as a curator are not, um, you know, you're not controlling the situation in a way that, you know, sometimes artists get into the situation that they're not happy about how, you know, the direction of curator is going and I think that's one of the the best experience and that's why I look forward to working with you every time I had the chance. Oh, thank you no, for that. No, seriously. <laughs> but you know, I started as an artist. Yes. I so. was a painter mm-hmm. for a very long time. So my my I've had many roles in the art world. My first role in the art world was as an artist and uh, that's where my my heart is at. So I I mean, that's my my I have a very um emotional response to the work of other artists and I have a lot of um, care and understanding for what it means to put yourself on the walls and I know that that's a place of vulnerability and it's difficult and I'm and I'm I try to be very sensitive you know to that experience 
in, in, in the way that we work together. But other contexts, you know, demand other things. So another mm-hmm. one of my favorite ways to work is to do historically based exhibitions and to really dig deep into archives. Yes. And to work with, you know, pri- like uncovering primary resources and uncovering, you know, these very, um, you know, untold stories. And sometimes it's doing oral histories with, you know, people who are septuagenarians, octogenarians, and trying to get their story on record or pulling things out from underneath people's beds. So that's a totally different kind of way of working. And, you know, you're working with people in a primary way, but you're you're constructing something and you know that it will take levels of interpretation and um and that's a huge responsibility and it also is one that takes trust and and time um so that's a way that i've worked you know when i'm doing historical shows and so when i was at lacma i was there for about two and a half years and i was working on new programs that were focused on initiatives to develop young curators of color and uh one of that you know there are two mellon funded programs one was the mellon undergraduate curatorial uh, program and that was geared at uh, working with young people um and the freshman and sophomore level their undergraduate uh, uh, levels in, in school and helping to cultivate them to move into curatorial careers and uh, hopefully directorial you know positions one day because um uh, you know, the Mellon conducted a survey after the program began, and it did find that, um, you know, the peop- level of people of color in the United States that participate at this level, are, are it's very low. So I'm one of 3% of uh, Latinos that have positions that are in the, you know, these higher levels of the museum administration nationally. It's a very limited, you know, group, a very limited pool. So we want to change that. We want to affect. So mentorship is very important to me. The other program was... Um, related to the Ph.D. art history program at UCLA and getting them to work on collections and uh, to, to integrate their coursework with the study of collections at the museum. And uh, and that taught me a lot about, you know, partnerships between museums and universities and institutions. Um, but I was already working on two exhibitions for Pacific Standard Time, LALA, the Latino Latin American Initiative, before I got to LACMA, and then I was developing those shows while I was there, and now I've left LACMA, and the shows haven't opened yet. <laughs> They're coming, but those are really long institutional timelines yeah. when you're doing shows that big, that big, that difficult uh, to navigate, orchestrate. Um, these are huge project budgets, and they're very complicated shows. They involve a lot of institutional loans. They so it must be projects. really nice to be at Vincent Price. And like, I mean, it's not it's not a <laughs> tiny artist run space for sure. It's a significant space, but you can you can get a bunch of stuff done there or, and you have gotten a bunch of stuff done there. Right. Um, yeah, we don't have this. We don't have as deep of a timeline. We're a, we're a smaller staff, so we don't have to make as many. Um, uh, you know, we don't have to do as much in terms of, of building out the timeline so that we can work with other staff in other departments. Right. Our department is basically one department. So, uh, and it's, you know, I have a great team, um, but we're, uh, you know, we're, we're a small group. But in that way, I think that we're flexible. I think that we have a flexibility and we have an ability to respond to the current moment. And that's at least what I'm, I'm trying to do when I can in terms of our programming there. And, and again, I just want to be, you know, responsive to the, the different aspects of our, of our community and to, and to find, a way, find ways to curate exhibitions that are relevant to our time. Well, Pilar, Shaga, thank you for joining us on The thank People. You. We really thank appreciate it. Thank you guys it. so much. 
Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to The People in Kei Chung, 1630 AM. I'm Ben White. And I'm Matthew Timmons. You can find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio. And you can also find us at Insert Blanc Press by going to insertblancpress.net and clicking on The People at the top of the page. You can also find us on Stitcher or SoundCloud or just about anywhere else where you get your podcasts. And you can also find us on Facebook. Please do find us on Facebook. Like us on like, Facebook. Like us, please. Right. Our theme music, as always, is Ock Fifth by Lewis Keller. And we're going to go out with a song from Los Angeles band, Very Be Careful, off their 2012 album, Remember Me from the Party. They're a really great band, and you can easily download a bunch of albums of theirs from iTunes, but you should really go see them live if you have a chance. They're very good. They're very good. And the name of the song is Cumbia de Valle du Parque.